remembered those idyllic scenes out of your childhood. Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Happy Holidays, Horror on the Rocks. On tonight's double episode, Frank and Joe review 1974 and 2006's Black Christmas and list the worst horror movie remakes. They're coming for you, Barbara. Look, there comes one of them now. <laughs> Welcome. How are you doing, Frank? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Happy holidays to you, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, and Christmas is around the corner. Welcome, everyone, to our double movie holiday episode of Horror on the Rocks. Yeah, Frank had a good idea. So today we're going to be talking about Black Christmas. And yes. then you suggested, well, why don't we go over both the original and the remake? I was yes. like, oh, what a stellar thought. So we're going to be doing two movies today. So yep. you get two for... The price of one. A little compare uh, and contrast, maybe? Yeah. I, I don't really know. We we figured we'd try something different. Not sure how this is going to go. Yeah. Um, and then to go along with that, uh, even the lightest Googling of the Black Christmas remake will tell you that it's terrible. It's a bad <laughs> movie. Um, the remake. The remake. Yeah. It was not well received. Yeah, I wanted to like it because yeah. there were some cast members that I really like. And yeah. they brought back one of the original cast members from the you know the original yeah, film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so we'll get into that. To go with that, we're going to do a list tonight of uh, some of the worst horror remakes that we can think of. Yeah. We have uh, a bunch of horror news to share with you guys. But before we get to that, let's as is tradition... Off. Why don't you tell them what you're drinking, Joe? All right. So, Frank, I was just in Savannah with some good friends of mine. And I um, am not a big wine person, actually, but we did some wine tasting. And there is this delicious peach wine that I am currently sipping on. It's from the Georgia Tasting Room in Savannah. And um, it's peach flavored. It's got some apricot, grape. It is absolutely delicious, and it is produced and bottled by Muriel Winery in Clearwater, Florida, exclusively for the Georgia Tasting Room. And I must say, this stuff really hits the spot. Um, I got my rocks in here, so I got some ice Good. with the wine just to keep it nice and chilled. I'm glad you're not doing uh, be a beer again or another non-rock <laughs> beverage. I know, I know. So uh, time to um, stick true to the title of the podcast. So cheers. But what do cheers. you got? I am, uh, I'm feeling damn festive tonight, so I'm drinking nog. Yeah. Drinking some uh, Pennsylvania Dutch eggnog. Going to be completely honest with you, I've never had eggnog before. Really? Yeah. It took you 30-some years to I may finally have, have it. I may have tried it at some point, but I don't ever recall having eggnog before. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I was just like, you know what? Holiday episode. can try some eggnog. It is okay. Yeah. Um, it's, know, I'm, not, I'm not convinced <laughs> that you're really digging it. It's it's, it's okay. It's yeah. a beverage, I guess. It's festive. Uh, tell the listeners what kind of glass you're drinking out of. What am I drinking out of? 
Oh, is this Golden Girls theme? Yeah, so... Yeah. Roughly my, 80% of the stuff uh, in Joe's house is Golden Girls theme? Yeah, so uh, an aunt um, of ours got me the uh, set of Golden Girls pint glasses, and you're currently drinking out of the Betty White um, gotcha. glass. So, yeah, to all of our listeners out there, we are enjoying some... Well, Frank's enjoying his festive eggnog. I got my wine, yeah. and cheers to you cheers. all. And happy holidays to happy everyone. Happy holidays. And our holiday-themed episode. So, Frank, what kind of news do you want to discuss yeah. before we get things going? A quick hitters horror news. Um, some of you might have saw on Instagram, Vulture, a couple weeks ago, Vulture posted a series series of articles under the heading 100 Scares that were all about horror movies, and they are excellent. They're really fun reads. And the clips are in there, too, Yeah, right? the so the, the main article that it's about is the 100 Scares that defined horror. So it's 100, basically, horror movie scenes, um, and it starts with movies, you know, early universal monster movie horrors all the way to, you know, very recent stuff um it's not like it ranked in any particular order it's in chronological but it's really fun um but under that subheading 100 scares they did a bunch of other uh articles one about um I think one, there's one about female-directed horror. There's one about what was the best year for horror, like what hmm. year in history had the best set of horror releases, um, and a bunch of other just cool um, horror-themed articles about you know why we find things scary and why this is a you know perhaps a golden age for horror. It's it's a whole series of articles. They put them out over a series a week. Highly recommend them. I would say 1995 to 1998 were the best years of horror they did it they did one year they were they oh, so they I were picking like calendar years oh yeah. that's tricky yeah it was tough i mean there were really only i think like three that they narrowed down to that were so heavy with horror movies yeah. that year that merited consideration but uh, uh yeah if i were to bracket it i, would, I don't know like if you give me a five-year bracket i'd probably pick the late 70s uh, okay yeah yeah i love those horror movies yeah um, other horror news. Some of you might have seen that The Shining, and I'm getting my monthly Shining a lot. Here we go again. The I'll Shining. Just drink my wine while you go off on that. <laughs> the Shining has been, uh, I guess, nominated or preserved in the Library of Congress in the National um, Film Registry uh, for you know being a work of distinguished importance or quality or whatever their measurables are. But it's a you know it's an overall film registry. It's supposed to kind of memorialize the greatest of film and there's a bunch of horror movies in them um in there and i I, obviously i think the shining belongs in there so i was going through and looking at some of the other stuff that's in there and it's a lot of what you'd expect it's a lot of the universal horror stuff i know you did last summer in urban legend (laughs) which is why i picked the 90s actually just uh i still know what you did last summer was in oh yeah right (laughs) (laughs) no but um you know the, the the Exorcist is in there. Rosemary's yeah. Baby's in there. Now The Shining's in there. Okay. One I was like, I cannot. I was. I guess maybe I shouldn't be surprised because you know stuffy types picking out movies to go in the Library of Congress. Texas Chainsaw Massacre wasn't in there. It and, wasn't in and there. And I feel like that movie is like. I don't know. I think that movie's terrifying. I'd love to do an episode on it one time. Yeah. And it was very kind of groundbreaking. So Totally. Yeah. Um, I, I want that one in there I mean, if, you're, if you're listening, Congress. Yeah, these are all sort of subjective to a certain degree. So, mm. yeah. We should come up with our own 
Hall of Fame horror movies. Horror Hall of Fame. Maybe that'll be a new bit coming your way. Let's, let's <laughs> let that marinate. We'll work on that. Think about it. Off yeah. mic. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> last thing uh, horror news wise today, I think a trailer came out for a new horror movie called Greta. Yeah. Release date is what March 1st, 2019. March 2019. With Chloe Grace Moretz. Yes. I feel like she's been popping up a lot yeah, on she our has. podcast. There's a lot of name dropping. Maybe she'll. Yeah. Here one day. Well, she does a lot of horror. I mean, she was Carrie in the Carrie remake. Yeah. She was in the new Suspiria, which I never got to see. It was in and out of theater so quickly, and apparently it's going to be on DVD in January. Yeah, so I, I wanted to. See to I think we were th- talking about doing it, but yeah. then life yeah. happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a baby. It, Frank's it kind a of, dad. Kind of through a <laughs> surprise. Yeah. Uh, congrats to you. Thank you very much. On that, you. Don't look too sleep deprived. I don't know how you're feeling on the inside, but you look real chipper and alert. It is. Uh, it could just be a front. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, partially a front. Um, partially, it is really fun and really exciting. And the third part is my partner is just doing an outstanding, amazing job um, letting me get as much sleep as possible because I'm working right now while she's on maternity leave. And then when I go on paternity leave and she's working, I'll be doing all the middle of the night stuff. But she's been a real saint and helping me, helping me get as much sleep so I don't get fired when I go to work. So thank you, Lauren. Could not be more grateful, and you're an amazing mother. Oh well, congrats! Um, I'm excited to meet baby Frankie. But um, anyway, anyway, enough about me. (laughs) Chloe Grace Moretz stars in this new horror thriller coming out. It looks like just from the trailer that she tries. uh, She's sort of a good Samaritan. This old lady who maybe has some ulterior motives, and I'm not going to say more than that. You guys can see the trailer. It looks good to me. Yeah, I like the trailer because it makes you think it's just some kind of sweet movie initially and then yeah. things just turn like that and you're yeah. like oh this is not maybe what i expected this yeah. movie to be so Greta is not chloe grace moretz's character's name it's the old woman's name that, right. that she's a good samaritan to but yeah so tonight's list as we mentioned we're you know we're doing a an original and a remake and the remake is particularly uh well, it's not good. Terrible. Yeah. So we. Figured- <laughs> I told you my notes about the remake are literally so bad. Underlined. <laughs> it is the first thing you're putting on your page. Yeah. Um, but, but we yeah. figured in honor of that, uh, we'd talk about some other horror remakes that we also were just dreadfully disappointed with. So why don't you kick it off, Joe? Yeah. So I think the first one that I'm going to uh, go over is Psycho. Um, the like 1990s one. I want to say late 90s. And uh, Hayes. And then in some interesting casting, Vince Vaughn, yeah. who is more of a comedic actor. Not that comedic actors can't do serious roles, but I didn't think it was a good fit. It It's so hard to remake a classic like Psycho. Yeah. One that, you know, is just so well done in and of itself. And to try to just top it or reimagine it. It's a big undertaking, which I don't think they yeah. really uh, yeah. mastered. So, yeah, that is the first on my um, bad remake. I, I only vaguely remember that movie. And I'm a big believer in you remake bad movies or you remake movies that have a flaw. Like something that you can now update and do better or differently. Like maybe a technological piece or, or just something maybe there wasn't quite didn't quite hit the mark in the original those are the movies that are good for remaking not hitchcock not the horror classics like why would you take a swipe at you know a movie that's in the library of congress already like it was unnecessary yeah what's on your list so for my first uh 
terrible remake pick. And I picked this one because I was so disappointed in it. Uh, was the Thing remake from 2011. Um, I think it starred Joel Egerton. Edgerton? I'm not sure how you say that guy's name. And actually Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who's in the Black Christmas remake oh, uh, tonight. Oh, I know we'll exactly. This is like where they're out in the Arctic or yes. something. Have you seen the original with Kurt Russell? No, but I saw some scenes of the remake. Yeah, so the original is fantastic. It's a John Carpenter movie. Um, they're basically, they're stowed away in, in a Alaska and there's this thing that overtakes bodies and they're they're unsure of what's going on there's a ton of suspense um and, and it's you know to the extent that it's a John Carpenter movie it falls in the category of movies I would say don't touch it was good to go start with okay. however it was made in the early 80s so some of the special effects while look you know, it probably looked really good then. Look kind of like puppets when you watch it today. Yeah. So I'm thinking 2011, they're going to remake this movie. They could remake this movie with all the suspense of the first one, but the special effects that they would need could look way better. They didn't do that. They made like a completely different movie. And I'm not sure if it's supposed to be a prequel or a sequel, but it's not, it's not the same even kind of general story. And it's just not good. Mm. And I was super disappointed by it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about number two for you? Uh, number two for me, I mentioned this movie before, I think on just, oh, you know what? I, re I mentioned this movie when we were doing awesomely bad movies. Mm-hmm. And then I really couldn't explain how this movie was Cause it was awesome because it was just so bad. <laughs> um, One Miss Call. It's yeah. getting another mention in yeah. this podcast no, because it's, it's a it remake <laughs> of a Japanese horror movie. Yeah. And actually, I double checked this. It has a 0% rating zero. on Rotten Tomatoes. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, which is pretty hard to get a 0%. Yeah. So, um, the premise is kind of cool. I never saw the original, but oof, this remake is yeah. just... Not terrible. Good. So. Yeah. Um, for number two, I'm gonna go with the worst of the two that I'm thinking about uh, is the Nightmare on Elm Street from 2010. Mm. That remake, I was excited for it. Um, it had you know some decent teen stars in it. And again, Nightmare on Elm Street, the original is great. Um, although going looking back, it's kind of campy. But it's another movie where I thought, oh, with the benefit of special effects now done well they could make these nightmares seem so much more real and so much more vivid and scary yeah and it just is flat as hell it just stinks um stinks out loud and i was just super disappointed with it yeah yeah uh so kind of in the same vein as that um friday the 13th is the next yeah. one on my list where they remade when and, they make that one yeah this one was made in 2009 um and it was nothing special about it, you know? Yeah. It, it just really uh, it didn't hit the mark. Um, kind of a forgettable remake, and you hear, you know, Friday the 13th is being remade. Oh, cool, like, this has a lot of potential. Maybe it's going to be reimagined in some really neat way, or sort of like you mentioned, like, modern technology can make it really cool. But yeah. it was just kind of flat. I it think didn't I... offer anything much, I think, to the franchise or to the original. It was just kind of flat. Yeah. Um, that was your third one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was a, it was a funny thing. Like trying to make this list was tough because all these movies were so forgettable, especially yeah. like against their originals. Like some other ones I was considering is like the Rob Zombie Halloween from 2007. I sort of like that one. I, I, I thought that one was okay. Because they give you a little more backstory, I think, into yeah. the, into Michael Myers and the family. Yeah. Um, it's not 
per- obviously the original is better, but yeah. I sort of appreciated it in that sense at least. Like yeah. it gave you a little bit more of a backstory. Yeah, the the other one that I was I was thinking about was uh, Poltergeist from 2015 with Sam Rockwell. But like it, I, I remember seeing these oh. movies and thinking like these movies stink. But I don't really remember a lot about them. But the last one that I want to I want to claim on my list because again I was so excited for it and I was so disappointed is the Flatliners remake they did in 2017. Oh, that like did it not was, get much. It was awful. And have you seen the original Flatliners? No, but I know about it. I wouldn't even say the original Flatliners is a horror. It's definitely more of like a thriller. In the new one, it's about these kids that basically are med students and are killing themselves and then waking themselves back yeah, up yeah. and the first one's really all about like the them doing that and if they're going to get in trouble and if they're going to if they're you know finding enlightenment through it or whatever in the remake it's definitely more paced and feels like a horror movie because they start doing it and then they start becoming like haunted by something it's but it's so dumb it doesn't make sense Mm. it's corny it it was just really really disappointing and it was another movie that i was like the original has like keith for keeper sutherland in it julia roberts julia roberts um but it's just kind of corny and like 80s ish so again i was like you reshape it you re kind of frame it it could be a really cool thriller and just stunk out Mm. loud yeah. Uh, I remember when it was like, when it was, you know, seeing trailers for it, Lauren and I were planning on going to see it in theaters. Yeah. And then the reviews came out. It was like 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. I was like, ah, we'll, we'll, pass on we'll that. wait for DVD. Yeah, it didn't get a lot of buzz or publicity at all. I think, um, yeah, it was pretty much forgotten about. Yeah. Um, Sounds like it flatlines. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. You're just pun man, hot tonight. You know? I know. I, I'm ready. I'm ready to win. So... All right, shall we dive into it? Black yeah. Christmas? Okay, so... Should we start with the first one, I guess? Yeah, let's talk about the first one and kind of use that as a springboard launch pad to um, comparing it to the second. But, yeah, so this movie is from 1974. Yep. It is a Canadian movie. And uh, when it actually was released in the U.S., did you hear about this, what the working title was initially? No. Um, it was initially released under the name Silent Night, Evil Night. Oh, yeah. And then I eventually that. reverted back to Black Christmas, which I believe was the original Canadian um, yeah. film name. Because it's, it's a Canadian horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's directed by Bob Clark, who you may know as the director of another Christmas classic. Yeah. A Christmas story. Yeah. Isn't that so weird? This he directed this movie? This guy's like movie catalog is Black Christmas, A Christmas Stories, and Porky's. Have you ever seen Porky's? Wow. Porky's is like a raunchy 80s like teen comedy. Yeah. Like, this guy's just all over the place. Yeah, he really uh, has a yeah. diversified yeah. Um, portfolio of films. So that's also, funny. Not, not, uh, not a tough name to have for him then. But you see the guy that, uh, it's I, I think the guy that wrote the movie or directed it, his name was Roy Moore. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, probably not a tough name then, right, but one of those names right. is tough to have now. But. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so this movie, it's about a group of sorority girls um, who are living together in a sorority house, and it's winter break, so, you know, they're kind of sticking around. A lot of them have left, but there's, you know, a core number of them that have stayed, and there is a serial killer on the loose. And it's one of the first movies, I think, that, even though we associate the sort of killer point of view with Halloween, I think. I think this movie actually predates Halloween. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think so. And you see 
the view so the camera is really from the point of view of the killer yeah, very similar to the killer camera that we saw in sleepaway camp yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um and the- this killer kind of just targets this house and you see him climb up this little you know the side the garden. lattice or whatever yeah it's and called. just makes his way into this yeah. home while the sorority um, girls are inside just getting lit they are having and the time of their lives it's you know i guess right before winter break yeah. they're letting loose um i noticed that the killer has some real breathing issues though he's a very heavy breather and as someone that has asthma myself i kind of felt for him but i'm like i don't know do you need like an inhaler or something (laughs) like this breathing is really loud and labored um and the sort of scary thing about this movie um is that you never know who the killer is ultimately so there you you see maybe his hands you see like a shot of his eye but Mm -hmm. his identity is never revealed his identity is never revealed which i love about this movie you're just left wondering this movie is a first and i didn't realize this until after it and i learned more about the movie this movie was a first for a lot of things this movie is credited as possibly being one of the first slasher films this movie came out in 1974 which is the same year as texas chainsaw massacre Mm. so those two are talked about being potentially you know the first slasher films and there was a movie in 1971 called bay of blood those three movies are kind of viewed as like the first slasher films but when you look at this movie and how it's set up and so many of the tropes in it are things that are in so many other slasher films like um you know eventually we'll get to this they um you know they end up going to the police and there's a totally inept police officer like that is a trope that is david arquette's character in scream yeah and it's even uh what's his name officer doofy in scary movie um the you know i think the young attractive college kids that are maybe a little promiscuous and you know boozing a little too hard that became kind of the foundation for the group of people that you watch and know in slasher movies yeah. um though i think what this movie does or what other movies may have missed the mark on with that sort of uh the characterization of like the younger females um like this like the girls in this movie i feel like are not they're like they're like more fully realized in a sense like there's actually they actually have like interesting backstories i feel like a lot of the more recent horror movies it's a lot of these like generic characters that you know you don't necessarily care about or there's nothing that interesting but like yeah like the main character in this movie which i thought was pretty um i don't know progressive is the right word but i mean she's talking about having an abortion in this movie and I don't know of yeah. many movies, at least back then, maybe a few now, mm-hmm. will even address the topic of abortion. But it's really interesting that the main character in this movie, um, Jess, yeah. is in, she's pregnant and she um, wants to get an abortion. And so I thought that was pretty unique about the movie is that it kind of tackles some social issues maybe in Definitely. a sense too. Um, um, and there, there's a lot about kind of the times of the movie because um, let's get to know our girls a little bit. Yeah. Our, our cast of girls. Yeah, so so we our, have our fearless and drunken le- leader played by uh, Margot Kidder, um, who, who I knew from growing up as being Lois Lane in Superman. And rest in peace. She passed away this year. I did not realize that. I remember just reading the article about her passing and didn't know exactly who she was. I remember yeah. reading that she was Lois Lane. But then she was I... also the mom in the or the mom wife in the original Amityville horror. Yeah. So as I was doing more research in this movie, I was like, oh, that's her, and she is hilarious yeah. in this movie. She's hammered drunk. She is the this whole boozy time. sister who is just 
crude. She will just (laughs) mess with anyone. She's not afraid to curse. She's really just uninhibited, which I thought was pretty refreshing, actually, um, to see a character like this. Um, Although I, I can't help but feel that some of her drunkenness is like not really... It's definitely for comedic flavor, but I'm not sure totally. it adds a lot other to the movie. Um, no, it's, yeah. So we have Margot Kidder, and then our main character, who's is played Jess. by Olivia Hussey. Her name's Jess? Yeah. Yeah, so she is, I remember her, she's Juliet in the Romeo and Juliet that I remember seeing in school. I don't know if you, I don't know if you ever saw her or recognized her from that. Yeah, but this was like... The one that predates, obviously, the Claire Danes, Leonardo uh, DiCaprio one. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like most people know of that one as Romeo and Juliet. When did you go to school? When were you watching? How they old let, are you? <laughs> we are the same age. And second of all, they let you watch, you watch the Leonardo DiCaprio Romeo no, and Juliet school? No, no. this is the one. It's from I was like, watching Forrest Gump in school. <laughs> I remember watching that and Glory distinctly. <laughs> no, it's, I think it's from like the late 60s. I want to say 68. And that was kind yeah. of her biggest thing up until that point. Um, and then we have a couple other uh, actors and actresses in this movie that would later become famous for um, other things like... One of the other girls, Phil, is played by Andrea Martin. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah. So the cop, the lieutenant they end up dealing with, I recognized him and I looked him up. He is the character Roper from Enter the Dragon, which have you ever seen Enter the Dragon? I have no Bruce idea what Lee? you're talking about. Oh, oh my oh, God. Bruce Lee. Okay. The, the, probably the most famous kung fu movie ever made is Enter the Dragon okay. with Bruce Lee. And he's one of the characters in it. He also plays the lieutenant or the detective that the kids go to for help in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then the last character that, the last actor's movie that it become had become famous for other things, and, and maybe even before, I don't know when the movie came out, but uh, Peter, Jess's boyfriend, who we were talking about, they have the, you know, they, they end up getting pregnant. He's the main character in 2001, the Space Odyssey. Mm. He's the doctor that does the whole voyage and ends up at the weird room in the end. So there's a bunch of actors and actresses in this movie that, um, you know, either became famous for stuff later or were kind of on the rise at the time. And it's funny that they got them all into this little, like, independent Canadian horror movie, a, a style of horror movie that had not yeah. been done before. I bet a number of them are probably Canadian yeah. actors, um, too, but or from Canada, rather. Yeah. So one of the other tropes, though, that you were discussing, or to add to the list of tropes, is that this is one of the first movies that um, also does the whole... The call is coming from within the house. I was, yeah, and I think I so. And I mentioned that because one of the main things that this anonymous, not anonymous, but this unidentified killer does is he'll call the girls from the house and make these really obscene, vulgar phone calls. You don't quite know what he's saying. Thank gosh for um, having subtitles because yeah. I was able to sort of see what he was saying. If that, but um, yeah, so he's calling though from inside the house, and that's one of like the really cool parts of this movie is you know. Tracing the phone call. And by yeah. the way, that scene where um, the cops are, you know, they, they, they wiretap the phone and are trying to determine where the phone call is coming from. Um, it's so dated and it's just a reminder oh, I guess, of crazy. what phone systems used to be like. It's yeah. like rows of these machines and it's really noisy and there's like paper coming out yeah. and like clicking and clanking. So and let's... They're like racing back and forth. So yeah, um, that's just one of the more amusing things though. But yeah, this is one of the movies that does sort of popularize that, which we've yeah. seen 
Which many, now many is like played out. Like the call is coming from in the house. Yeah. Like I, I, f- I felt it when it was happening. I was like, oh, here we go again. And then I realized, yeah. oh, this wasn't here we go again. This was here we go for the first time. Right. But yeah, so now, now we've got our cast of characters. They're kind of hanging out in their living room, getting drunk, led by Barb, uh, who's never without both a cigarette and a drink in the movie at all times. The killer climbs a lattice and gets into the attic. One of the girls, Claire, ends up looking for clothes in her closet and gets suffocated with the plastic off of her dry cleaning, and Claire then goes missing. The The whole house, nobody really seems to notice that Claire is missing. Because she was supposed to be leaving that day. Yeah. Uh, so they're like, oh, maybe she actually left to go home. Um, we're not entirely sure you know, yeah. whether she was still here or not. But yeah, and meanwhile. They, and then they start getting these calls. Yeah. Um, which they call they call the voice on the phone the moaner. Because <laughs> uh, but uh, Olivia Hussey has the weirdest accent in this movie. Did you notice that? Yeah, is she British? She is British, but I don't. It think comes that in and accent, out. Yeah, throughout the movie, it's and, inconsistent, which throws you for a loop. Yeah, but she knows how to scream into the phone because there's some. So the one of the first few calls, Barb is just kind of egging the caller on. She's not, you know, concerned at all. She's just, like, giving it right back. Yeah. Meanwhile, the other girls are a little more concerned, like, ooh, this is sort of a psychopath, or we don't know who this guy is. Like, maybe we shouldn't engage. And do you remember the dialogue that they have when they hang up that early phone call? <laughs> one no, of the girls goes, it? hey, you know, I'm really afraid, or something like that. And one girl mentions that, like, a townie got raped recently. Mm. And and Barb goes, darling, you can't rape a townie. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Yeah, that's Barb for you. <laughs> Apparently townies are not people, too. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Barb also... Um, says, I know a professional virgin when I see one. Barbara's just full of great, memorable lines. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things I enjoy about this movie is that um, it's funny. There's there's a, a good sense of humor to this movie, too, which I think comes in through Mrs. Mack, who is my favorite yeah. character. Who's like the house mother or She's the house mother, mother they, who is this boozy, a little messy. Um, she I guess she's supposed to keep an eye on them, but yeah. she hides liquor in a book in the bookcase <laughs> and she'll take swigs of it. My favorite scene of Mrs. Mack, who by the way has these fantastic hats. She has like yeah. different colored hats throughout the movie. Um is when she's brushing her teeth. You remember that scene? She's brushing her teeth and then instead of rinse, instead of rinsing her mouth out with, you know, mouthwash or water, she opens the toilet tank, pulls out another bottle of booze and does a little swig and rinses her mouth out with more liquor. I'm like, this Mrs. Mac, she is <laughs> just soft. quite the positive influence. I love that, like, there, there's booze all over this house. Like, the kids yeah. are downstairs smoking and drinking at the classiest bar that's ever existed in a college house. They have, like, a decanter and whatever. Yeah. She doesn't drink with them, but she has pint-sized bottles of brown liquor stashed in every nook and cranny of the sorority. Yeah. So what sort of sets off, uh, I guess, the plot, or, the, you know, what happened to Claire, the first victim, is that Claire's dad comes to campus. Yes. He visits, and he's like, hey, where's Claire? He, she hasn't come home. And they're like, oh, we thought she did. She didn't go home. This is weird. Mm-hmm. So Claire's dad goes to the house. And I love the interactions between Claire's dad and Mrs. Mack. Do you remember just those scenes? Oh, yeah. Because Claire's dad is this, like, yeah. real uptight Sort of, I don't know, he may be kind of religious, definitely more conservative. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, you know, Mrs. Mack is a little more out there. She seems more comfortable with just kind of, 
you know, with, with all sorts of things. And there's like posters of, you know, genitalia. So as like, <laughs> it's like a poster where it's one person laying on top of the other and they're making a peace sign. And you can see that the, the, the person that's laying on top of the other, they're both naked. You could see his butt. And she, she like, covers she, it like, with her so, hand. Put so much effort into covering, like, just the butt in yeah. the photo. So the father won't see it. But by doing that, makes it even more obvious. Yes, that there is a butt under here. Yeah. Like, There's <laughs> also a poster of an older woman giving a finger giving the finger to the camera. It's, it's like a poster on their wall. Oh, really? I mean, they really have some awesome decor <laughs> in this uh, sorority house. So anyway, yeah. um, I, I really enjoyed just kind of the humor that comes out of those scenes between Mrs. Mac yeah. and Claire's dad. Um, and we don't really see much of Claire's dad, though, after this. Well, so they can't find Claire... And we start to realize, like, they check the sorority house, and then they check where the girls are that day, which is this function that they're throwing with Santa, where not only is Barb continuing to drink and smoke. In front of children, by no, the way. No, she like a- got a child drunk. <laughs> she hands him a drink. Yeah. He has some of it. And then she says, I think he's schnockered. He's drunk. She got yeah. a child drunk. She is a uh, sorority sister of the year, this one. <laughs> so they, they realize they can't find Claire. They go to the police station, which Barb goes with them, cracks a beer at the complaint counter in the police station at one point. Um, um, the best part of Barb in the police station is when um, the cops are asking, oh, so what's the number to the house? <laughs> And Barb proceeds, man, Barb is just a character. She goes, oh, here's our phone number, fellatio2880. And the cop actually writes that down. He's he, like, he's he like makes her, he's like, how do you spell that? Yeah. He's not like, no, really, what's the number? He buys it. And then I guess that's like one of the first glimpses into this completely incompetent yeah. cop. That's She's like, fellatio. Like, never mind the fact that fellatio, I had it as fellatio20880. That is not the amount of digits of a phone number. <laughs> Back then, they were only yeah. doing, what, uh, seven-digit numbers? They weren't doing area codes. That's not the length of a phone number. How yeah. do you spell fellatio? Like, their house number is a 1-800 number that, that has a word yeah. in it. So um, meanwhile, though, beyond you know Claire missing, there's also this other plot uh, where it's the same killer, we presume. There's um, a child or, like, a teenager that's murdered also. So the cops are yeah. kind of... Excuse me. Um investigating that report of you know a, a kid missing or a kid getting killed um so it all kind of comes together and i yeah. guess it's the same killer is that what you gathered like yeah I, I did um they but they don't really tie that together at first because they make this they make this complaint and it doesn't really get taken seriously so they kind of they kind of i think they head home initially because they found out about the other girl that's been killed later but it, at the same time that this is going on olivia hussey's character jess tells her boyfriend peter i'm pregnant and that she wants to pursue her life dreams and he's very i mean he's he's not good about it he yeah. you know he's like don't you know what tonight? Tonight is such a big night for me, and he's he playing has some at a audition. piano. He's yeah. an audition. He's a musician. I, he's in the music conservatory, and boy, when we see his recital performance, oh boy, <laughs> it was a real bad. And it's just Were you three, moved? three old dudes like staring at him, be terrible, <laughs> and he's like clang, 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 and he's sweating. He's obviously yeah. it goes terrible. Well, what's interesting is that he's the one that wants to settle down. He wants Jess to marry him. He wants you know that kind of traditional. Um, life's you know w- with Jess meanwhile Jess which again I thought was interesting is that she's like nope I thought about it and this is what I want to do I want to get an abortion so yeah. we do see 
this side of Peter then where he gets really angry. He like later on he bashes the piano. We're made to think, oh, yeah, something's off with Peter. Maybe you know, hint is Peter the killer? Which I thought the you know, yeah, I thought he might be for a little while. Well, and at some point later in the movie, Jess is answering the calls, and the the caller is harassing her about an abortion. Like he's talking about killing the child. He says something gross, like it's just like getting a wart removed or something like that. And because Peter is acting so irrational, you're led to believe he's a potential killer so there's this side plots developing at the same time the gang decides to go visit claire's boyfriend who's one of my favorite characters of the movie he's the goalie on the college hockey team they go to him and they say hey listen we went to the police station they're not taking this seriously we can't find claire we're really scared he's like all right guys i gotta go throws on the most dapper fur coat he rocks this like conor mcgregor pre-fight like almost tyler durden-esque like fur coat <laughs> yeah. goes into the police station is like what the hell's going on why are these complaints not being taken seriously this girl's missing and the, the detective comes out of the back that, that we come to know and this is the detective that's working on the other missing girl case yeah. so he becomes the detective or the lieutenant that's working the missing girls case and this is the only time in the movie i heard a canadian slip up was the detective goes up to what him and goes, say? oh, you know Claire so-and-so? And he goes, yeah, I've been taking a root. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, there it <laughs> Were is. Were you just like waiting for it? I was to, like, it's Canadian. Like a, Someone's going to say oot yeah. or a boot or yeah. sorry at some point <laughs> in this movie. And then it happened then. So that's when things start getting taken seriously. They're continuing to get these calls at the house. They then go out and they, they join the search party with um, the, the group that's looking for the 13-year-old girl that's missing. And they find her. They find her dead body, at which point shit's getting real. They're like, we got to tap Panic these phones. Sets in. Yeah. Um, they start getting a little nervous. And I think that after that, um, you know, Jess returns home with some of the other sorority sisters. There's this <laughs> random scene with like some Christmas carolers. And that's one of the good things I think this movie does is that you, there, there's a lot of classic Christmas songs being played throughout the movie. Yeah. And I find it always a little scary when you have some kind of like innocent song like that being uh, shown in this new way, like, you know, with this <laughs> in the backdrop of a horror yeah. movie. It makes you look at it differently and like it takes on sort of like a new life. Um, the carolers are really important to one of the kills in the movie because they uh, they go to check on Barb because at this point Barb's hammered drunk and had to be put to bed during the during the song. Yes, right? they go check on Barb. Barb's fine. They come back downstairs and the carolers come and it muffles the the volume of the carolers makes it so they can't hear Barb getting stabbed to death in the uh, in the bedroom. Yeah. So eventually, like everybody gets kind of split up like over the course of the movie and it ends up just being with Jess is in the house by herself like with the tapped phone then she's got to keep him on the line and it's like 20 minutes of the movie of her trying to keep the killer on the line long enough while this poor guy at the phone company or the police station runs up and down aisles looking for what breaker they're attached to oh man it's so old school yeah I mean I guess yeah I didn't realize that even in the 70s that's I suppose how things were like there's at one point even when on the phone call like earlier on like the operators on the other line like remember like that was a thing like, there was yeah. an operator like on the other line that you would somehow like uh-huh. signal to assist you but what, yeah what rather it's and it's so funny because he's running through these room and, and I don't even know what he's running through old 
I don't know, phone connections. And everything's clicking and shifting and making noise. And he's running down aisles and he's looking and he's looking and he's looking. And then all of a sudden he turns down an aisle. He flips like a little thing and is like, that's the one. I'm like, how did you know? Like yeah. of all the noises, clicking, beeping, mechanical things, how did you know that that was the There's particular There's science breaker? behind it I don't understand at all. That's, yeah. that's actually, it's kind of interesting how, yeah, they can figure that out. So I think around that time, that's when the lieutenant goes to investigate Peter because he overhears a call that uh, Jess's character has with Peter about the, the about her wanting to get the abortion. Yeah. And um, so he's out investigating that, gets to call from stupid officer Nash saying, hey, you know, the, the call is coming from 6 Belmont Street. Yeah. And he goes, no, you idiot. That's where the calls are coming to. And he's, no, that's where they're coming from. He's like, okay. And again, this whole movie is like hard to imagine happening without cell phones. And they, the cell phones are actually kind of a bigger part in the remake. Yeah. But like, he goes, okay, you got to call the house and tell them she needs to leave the house, but don't tell her why. I swear to God, if you screw this up, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And of course, Nash blurts out. Along the whole. <laughs> the calls, the killers in the house, the calls are coming from in the house. Yeah. So she freaks out. But, she, um. So she gets the call. Just, yeah, so Jess is told, hey, the calls are coming inside the house. And I think at this point, Jess doesn't know that Phil and Barb are dead, but they've died. But Jess doesn't know that. How does Phil die? I can't remember. And I think there's a shot of her on the bed with Barb. Yeah. They're both dead. But there's not like an extended scene with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, despite being told that hey, the killer's inside the house or the calls coming inside the house, I guess she doesn't know what happened to her friends. But like, dude, if I hear that, sorry, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah. I'm leaving. You know? Um, and like, she, I think she like screams for them, and no one responds. So it's like, okay, you don't get a response. Like you tried, like yeah. both. But yeah, so she stays inside the house. And then at this point, the movie kind of dragged on a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I was doing a crossword puzzle <laughs> during this part. <laughs> I was like, all right, it's playing. I was sort of glancing. I mean, again, I really enjoyed the movie overall. But this part and sort of like the the ultimate, I guess, towards the final scene, somehow Jess, I guess, ends up in the base. Oh, because well, Peter. Well, the, yeah, so Peter the, killer, the killer starts chasing her. Yeah. Like at some point, which one of my, really my biggest issue with this movie is no one there's never like a thorough investigation of the house like there are dead bodies in the attic we come to realize that's where the killer is keeping all these bodies and especially by the way claire so that's sort of like the iconic image of this movie is that you know claire suffocated with the bag over her head but the killer places her on a rocking chair it's never really discussed or addressed why but that's yeah kind of like the the visual that you get when you see this movie it's like on one of the movie posters like the, yeah the movie he cover. reminds me of i always thought his or i thought throughout the movie his behavior and like his voice he reminded me very much of leatherface he's like oh. <laughs> like he makes like weird noises and you know what's funny so i read that the um actor who who voices the caller was actually staying on his head to make his voice sound more demented when they were recording it. So that's why it sounds really off and kind of muffled. It's because he's actually upside down. Interesting. So I guess this movie wraps up with Killer chases her. Uh, Jess ends up in the basement and she's got something to you know defend herself with. And she thinks she sees the killer trying to come in through the basement window. And it's Peter. And Peter comes in and he's very like nice. He's like, Jess, how are you? Like, I was looking for you. Are you okay? Yeah. And then the cops show up and we hear screaming, crash bang. Cops come into the basement and Jess is there alive. Peter is dead in her lap. Peter, you know, Jess killed P- 
Peter in presumably self-defense. We think him. he's the killer. Yeah. So then the cops are there. They they like lay Jess down. Everybody rests and leaves. And all of a sudden the phone rings one more time, and we see the killer is still in the attic with dead bodies and and at least one more victim lying just a floor below. Yeah, I thought it was odd that they were just. Like, there's, like, one cop outside just guarding the house. And, like, Jess is just, like, in her room. I don't know. Like, wouldn't they take her somewhere, like, to get yeah, checked? Yeah, I thought it was weird that they left her alone. how she is, like, medically, go to a hospital. I don't know. It's just, uh, but I think the ending was very effective. Because yeah. you're like, oh, killer wasn't Peter. But that's the good thing is who, in this movie. Who is this killer? Why is he doing what he's doing? And I guess the whole not knowing makes it scarier in a sense yeah um and and my understanding is that this is one of the first with a with an unidentified killer at the end of the movie yeah. and a surviving killer at the end of the movie also like it's so funny like a, a movie like this today had you know had it done well would easily be a sequel there would be a sequel after this but that even wasn't a you know that wasn't even yeah. a thing yet that back then so again one of the things i thought that was pretty interesting too was that you know this whole topic of abortion and i was putting my little legal eagle hat on so Roe v. Wade um, was decided in 1973, which is a year before this movie came out. So really? I'm just curious if, you know, the were they taking like a position on that or like... A commentary yeah, on like so, the issue of the times. Yeah, maybe it was just probably in the news, obviously, you know, yeah. at that point. So it was an interesting kind of reference, um, just like Jess's character and something that may have seen, be seen as, you know... Um, as like a sinful act, like her wanting to get an abortion. She's actually like the final girl. So she's not yeah. the one that like yeah. dies. If anything, like the virginal character, Claire is the one that gets killed first. So it's interesting how yeah. this movie like plays around with, you know, that and they don't kill off the characters you'd expect them to kill off. Maybe. Yeah. Um, then they kill off Barb. But do we, do we only think that way because that's how slasher movies have done it for so yeah. long. Whereas there was no, yeah. there was no, you know, preset of tropes and here this person dies first and then that person. And then we, you know, in the third act, this person yeah. lives. Yeah, I was just doing some research about the, the actors and the actresses in the movie. Olivia Hussey at the time, the actress that plays Jess was married to Dean Martin's son. Okay. And Margot Kidder, in an interview about the movie, said uh, that making the movie was a lot of fun. She said, I bonded with Andrea Martin filming in Toronto and Ontario. Olivia Hussey was a bit of an odd one. She was obsessed with the idea of falling in love with Paul McCartney through her psychic. We were a little hard on her for things like that. That's cool. <laughs> so should we should we fast forward a good yeah, let's move 32 to, years, I guess? Let's move to 2006 when the remake came out, um, Black Christmas. And uh, this stars a lot of actually, you know, stars that were pretty big back then. Um, Michelle Treckenberg from Harriet the Spy and yep. Eurotrip and Buffy. Yep. We have Lacey Chabert from Mean Girls. Um what I think is pretty amazing is that Andrew Martin, who plays Phil in the original Black Christmas, comes back to play Mrs. Mack. Um, and as much as I love Andrew Martin, I think her Mrs. Mack in this movie, in the remake, just lacks kind of the comic relief um, aspects of the original Mrs. Mack. Listen, this this uh, movie Which is lacks, just one of the many <laughs> This movie problem. lacks in most of the areas where the first one succeeded. I think Mrs. Mack is the least of the issues, but... Yeah. Uh, um, which, by the way, did you know that the Phil character was not originally supposed to be cast by Andrea Martin? It was going to be cast by... I uh, heard. Gilda Radner. Yes, yes, who, yes, yes. Who, um, obviously, as we all know, joined SNL and was wildly successful and due to uh, commitment, you know, scheduling commitment issues, uh, had to leave the movie and they hired yeah. Andrea Martin, uh, which I think it's funny they pick 
like Andrew Martin couldn't look more like a young Gilder Radner in that movie. They have the same haircut, they're the same age. Like you, you they're could going for a type say, for that character. Yeah. She's sort of the bookish, I guess. Yeah, um, car- sorority sister. But, but Andrea Martin's our one. Our I thought we'd have more. I thought there would be more actors from the first movie that would make a cameo in the second. Because they were probably the only one. They were probably like, "Why are we remaking this classic?" Yeah, and the script stinks. So, so the guy that wrote the script is named Glenn Morgan. He was a huge fan of the first one, and he'd a few years earlier he'd made a remake of a '70s horror movie called Willard, which also didn't go well. Um, so he he gets a shot to do this, and this is his. He he's like hugely passionate about it. Yeah. He's able to convince the the woman from Mean Girls, Lacey Chamber. Yeah, Lacey Chabert. He, he her. convinces her and Michelle Trachtenberg to join the movie with kind of his passion. Which, by the way, Michelle Trachtenberg had apparently done like a horror movie like a year or two before, and was not willing to return to horror unless she had the opportunity to die on screen. So- so okay. he gets Michelle Trachtenberg, he gets everybody in, and apparently he said to people that if I'm so passionate about the remake of Black Christmas that if it does not succeed, I'm done directing movies. And he's held to that. He Has is, he not directed? He's so, not directed a movie yeah. since this flop of a remake. So this remake, one of the negatives, I think, is that, and what made the first specials, uh, again, the, the killer you don't know the identity or why they're doing what they're doing. We have exactly an idea of who the killer is in the remake. His name is Billy Lenz. And this movie really dives into his background. He's this troubled boy that has this pretty messed up upbringing. Um, Father dies. Mother is just a terrible human being. So the movie starts almost identical. It, the, there's a there's a house in the beginning. We see the the deviant climbing through the ceiling. The girls are downstairs having drinks. They decide to open presents, and one of the things that the sorority house does is they open a present for Billy Lentz, which yeah. I thought, which I realized later. In the first movie, the killer is saying the name Billy all the time. Like, he's saying, Billy, Billy, on all these calls. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's why they made the killer's name Billy in this movie. And Agnes, too, right? Yes, which becomes becomes kind of a a character in this movie. That is actually kind of cool that the remake does play off of those characters, or those, those references. So they... They're, they're like, oh, why did we open this present for Billy Lentz? Which is just like a real easy trope to um, to tell us this backstory of Billy. Which, in the meantime, we are seeing a William Lentz is escaping from an insane asylum. Yeah. So we know that's happening. And we have this backstory of Billy Lentz where he's born to this family. And, and we learn Billy has jaundice, um, which doesn't make him like slightly yellow. It makes him like... Like, like fluorescent yellow, yellow stoplight yellow. Like he's bright yellow. Like yeah. what, like what a cartoon of a radioactive person. Which I don't think that's how jaundice works. Yeah, it's a but little far fetched. He's born to a family where the father seems to love him very much, Father's and the mother hates him, and she hates him because he reminds her of the father, who seems to be a nice guy. So well, yeah, the mother's really problematic in this movie. She so. she like breaks a glass ornament over the baby carriage at one point. Yeah, she pretty much you know. Oh, she ruins Christmas for him. Yeah, she says that Santa's not real when he's at an age where you know he's still believing in Santa. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, mother's awful. And then she and she her kills her, Billy's dad. Her and her boyfriend kill Billy's dad. Billy uh-huh. witnesses this all and then gets locked up in the attic. So here's one of the one of. The biggest plot point issue I have with the movie, Billy is Billy is in the attic, or no, he's in this crawl space behind his own closet, and he ends up 
climbing kind of down through the wall in the house to the crawl space that's under the porch where he sees his mom and his mom's boyfriend burying dad. They see him, they're like, oh my God. He scurries back into the house through the crawl space and up into the attic. Mom and boyfriend, mom and stepdad's solution to this child that they hate, they're just going to throw, you know, a, a master lock on the attic door. He got out once. He got he got out under the house. He could certainly escape from the house from under the porch, yet he is trapped in the attic for however long. Well, I don't think he was locked up in the attic the first time he like when he witnessed the murder. I don't think they had locked him up yet at that point. But, they locked him up as after the fact. But however he got, he can go from the attic. He can go through the wall of the oh, house from through, the like, attic the to the patio. Space. He can get out of the house. I don't understand yeah, maybe like, don't how he was that. trapped. Anyway, he's trapped up there for years. Out of nowhere, mom goes upstairs after mom. Which, by the way, did you read the unrated version of this movie? I don't know. Yeah. It was actually pretty hard to find. I couldn't rent it on Comcast. I actually had to rent it through like the Roku like movie rental app. Oh, it was on Prime. That's oh, where I okay. rented it. And that's a, that's a problem right there. If you can't rent the movie <laughs> um, or if it's that difficult to track the movie down, there's a yeah. reason why it's not out there. Yeah. So, there's a lot of red flags. You should have known better. <laughs> <laughs> so mom is mom's banging stepdad on the stairs. And then in the middle of it, gets upstairs, goes to the attic and all we see is that she disrobes in front of Billy, and then it's cut to nine months later, there's and a baby in the house. Yeah, so Billy and his mom make a baby. So Ugh. Billy is the brother of the baby and also the father. And uh, yes, yeah, so then we have Agnes, who is the child that's born. And I mom, thought this movie took place in Canada, not West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> mom loves Agnes. Mom favors Agnes and will do anything for Agnes. Uh, loves Agnes, who is the daughter of a child she hates. Yes. I, what? What? Yeah, and that's the thing. This whole backstory is just dumb. Like, who cares? Like, it's just dumb. <laughs> I don't know. I, I Did you... Were you into it? Did you think it was interesting no, anyway? I, no. I feel like it was... I don't know. I I mean, I, I like the, the idea of maybe... Even making the killer's identity known is one thing, but this whole backstory was just kind of absurd. So, so this, this backstory goes on and on, and then we see, like... So that happens in, like, the early 80s, and then in the early 90s, Billy loses it and kills his stepfather, kills his mom, makes Christmas cookies out of his mother's flesh. So he actually <laughs> will... Yeah, he puts the cookie cutter into her back, and then... I guess, like, gets the flesh and bakes the cookies. So when he's finally caught by the cops, you see him just eating these fleshy Mom cookies. flesh Christmas. Christmas cookies. Yeah, it's a real pleasant sight. It's just like, what? So he ends up in the same asylum, and then we learned that Agnes, his daughter's sister, um, is was, was sent off to an orphanage and never seen again. And they do this, like, cut in the movie where they kind of insinuate that one of the girls in the house is Agnes. Did you get that? The yeah. character, I think her name's Eve. They're trying to suggest Eve, who's this kind of, yeah, nerdy, little strange yeah. character. Kind of a loner, probably. A little odd. And, and later in the movie, we learn that she's kind of obsessed with this, like, lore of Billy Lentz. And has, like, newspaper clippings. So they really think it's her yeah. later. But then we find out that it's actually... Eve is not Agnes. We do see Agnes eventually. So pretty much... The killers in this movie are both 
Agnes and Billy who return home. Which, God, um, two killer movies? So confusing. Yeah. There were so many scenes where you're like, is it, is it Agnes? Is it Billy? What the hell is going yeah. on? Yeah. And in this movie, there's this obsession with gouging out eyes. There's so many parts of this movie where someone, either in a death scene, mostly in a death scene, eyes are being just removed from the face. And it's just done in such a ridiculous manner. Um, I think there's a point where Billy's eating an eye. Um, Maybe it's Agnes. I don't know. Yeah, there's doll eyes that are coming out. Lots of eye (laughs) imagery. I don't know where this is coming from or what the significance of it is. Also, Um, the... It's too much. The the, the plastic suffocation kill is like the famous kill from the original Black Christmas. It is how the killer tries to kill everybody in this movie. Like he's constantly killing everybody, trying to kill everybody with with this plastic. Um, But the movie does... It does track a little bit along with the original um the the first kill that happens in the movie it is the half sister of that character comes looking for her rather than the um rather than the dad the way it is in the first one um we have a we have like a drunk barb character um what is her name that's the thing she's so forgettable she's not yeah (laughs) that interesting or funny we also we have a, a boyfriend could be suspect we have one of those um, Which we had in the first movie, yeah, but, but it's except, not done as effectively. No, in the, the, sec- the issue with the boyfriend character in this movie is that he's dating one of the girls in the house. It also appears that he has slept with another one of the girls in the house before the, his current girlfriend got to college, and video of that has made its way onto the internet. And he's very adamant, I didn't put it on the internet, um, but it, it, it that is kind of like the 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 equivalent of the abortion issue one thing i was really disappointed with this movie we didn't get a dumb cop i thought we'd get a dumb cop for sure no cops yeah um it does kind of take some of the modern technology into play and brings that up but it doesn't add anything to the movie and again my biggest um issues with this are that the humor's lost uh the whole mystery and it's not the suspense of not. why of who this killer is why they're doing it that's not there the backstory is uninteresting and mrs mac i love andrea martin but the mrs mac in the first movie was just far superior um so i just don't she gets a great kill though because there's this moment in the movie where they're like do we leave do we run from the house because also in this movie they're trapped in a snowstorm so at this point they've got a handful of girls missing and they're like the, the cops aren't going to be able to get here for hours. Do we leave or do we stay? And some of the group is like, no, we're, we're ride or die for our sisters. We're going to stay. And uh, Mrs. Mack and one of the other girls decide they're going to leave. So they go out in the car and the, the premise is the girl that, that Mrs. Mack leaves with, who's played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, doesn't even know what a snow scraper is on a car. That's a pretty <laughs> so, great scene, yeah. So Mrs. Mack gets out like, oh, a spoiled southern bitch or whatever and like starts like scraping the snow off and all of a sudden her splat blood against the windshield mrs mack is like shocked <gasps> she like stumbles backward and hits the porch and looks up and of course right at the exact moment Death a giant icicle, icicle falls down imp- impales her head uh, there's a couple other good kills in this movie uh, but yeah everything becomes very very eyeball focused there's lots of eyes there's a lot of like peeping tom moments there's yeah yeah with our um, barb character yeah so uh, there's do you remember the scene they're in i think they're in barb's room barb may or may not be dead already they're in the room they call the phone number back that the killer's calling from and they can see a light from it in the ceiling 
Is yeah. there a hole in the ceiling? Is the searing ceiling like see-through? Like, how are they seeing the cell phone that's a floor away? Like, I it yeah, I think no it's, sense I think because there's a hole. It's like an old house. Oh, and by the way, so this is the house that Billy and Agnes grew up in. So oh yeah, yes, yeah, so this sorority house that the girls live in is the former house of Billy and Agnes. They return home and then you know go on their murderous rampage. Um, so ultimately, there's one girl left. I don't even remember her name. Um, Kelly. Ca- yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> sure. Like, who cares? It's, it, so the only girls left are Kelly, Kelly and the sister. And her name's the, Lee, the, the half sister of Claire. Lee. Yeah. And they and actually keep Claire's name, so it's the same. The only like victim in the... ongoing theme in the movie is that like this idea of like family and like who is your family? Who do you care for? Like who do you? Who are you? Yeah. Who are your beloved ones? Yeah. And, and, and through this terrible murderous uh, evening, Lee and Kelly, the girl, Kelly's the girl lives in the house. Lee's the sister that's visiting. Develop this bond. They end up in the attic together. Yeah. yeah. Um. Where no. Yeah. And then one of them ends up in the wall. And Agnes is in the wall. The upstairs is just a ton of dead bodies. Everybody's got their eyeballs written, uh, ripped out. Uh, orange ass, uh, orange ass Billy's up there. Agnes is up there. We Ar- have this big reveal that we Bill- have two killers this whole movie. Billy's not as orange though as an adult. You know that. I mean, he still is or like yellow. a. He was way. He's a jaundiced adult, which I don't even know if adults can. He wasn't as fluorescent though. I don't know if they just their budget. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, yes, they went through. They were like, "Ooh, we're out of uh, money for effects," but. So ultimately, Kelly and the sister that comes looking yeah. for Claire, they survive. And they light the house on fire. Yeah, so they end up in the hospital. Um, and that's kind of cool, I guess, in a way. Like, you think the movie's over, but then there's this whole hospital scene where, dun-dun-dun, Billy and Agnes aren't dead. So they're in body bags. The mortician or the medical examiner is going to do his autopsies, and they both come out of the bags. They yeah. kill the... Billy is only slightly burned. Why was he put in a body bag? Agnes isn't burned at all. Yeah, but like, like why the, did they think they were dead? But the house blew up though, pretty much. Yeah, the house was in inferno. Was they they threw paint thinner everywhere before they lit it on fire. Torch, and somehow they survived that with very yeah minimal burning, yeah. which is surprising. So then Lee um, gets killed, and then which stinks because she made it so far, and you're like, yeah. oh, dumb. Like then that. Kelly Kelly like goes for an X-ray, and then ends up back in his room, senses there's trouble afoot, and I was waiting for this because I was like, when are they gonna do a reference to Barb's death? And Kelly realizes there's trouble afoot in her room and quickly runs to hit the emergency bell in her room. And, of course, the guard can't hear the bell because there's carolers in the lobby. Yeah. And I was like, I, I knew that this movie was going to come back to that because it was, like, such a theatrical part of the first movie. I was yeah. like, they, they, if they don't do the carolers thing, they're really fucking up. So then Kelly eventually kills um, Agnes with an EKG. Yeah. She just, like, EKGs are in the face. She like cranks it up and then boom. And then um, there's a little chase scene with Billy down the hall. And you know what's crazy is that Billy's going after Kelly in this hallway of a hospital that's staffed. There's people out and about. And no one's intervening. Like Kelly like and Billy, they they fumble over a um, like a cart and there's a hospital worker. No one's interjecting. No one's really noticing this. And finally, Kelly, like, pushes Billy off, you know, the balcony. And he impales himself on, on this... On a Christmas tre- tree? On this treetopper of a Christmas yeah. tree. Um, so, you know, the movie, obviously, there's all the Christmas references and the yeah. Christmas imagery. And there's some Christmas songs being played. And it, it does... It, 
They tried. They yeah. tried. I'll give did them you that. Know, they tried. Did but... you know that that was not supposed to be the original ending of the movie? No. How so, is it supposed fun to end? fact, this is a Harvey Weinstein movie. Harvey Weinstein, I hope you rot in jail, and then you rot in hell, because yeah, you're a terrible is, person. Yeah, this is Dimension. But he, um, he got his grubby, gross little fingers... And did all sorts of things to this movie that didn't make any sense. First of all, the movie was supposed to end the way the first one ends, where it was going to be Lee and Kelly alive in the hospital, and they get one final call from Billy, and Billy's still alive, and that, you know, kind of a call the way the first one ends. He was like, no, needs to end with gore. So they have that stupid scene where he throws her off the, uh, he throws her off the, or I'm sorry, the stupid scene where she throws him off the balcony on the Christmas tree topper. He also, have you, did you watch? the trailer for this movie i remember yeah i don't remember it very well but I remember it's filled it. with a bunch of scenes that aren't in the movie oh, really? like stuff that harvey weinstein made them film after the fact that they just don't have anything to do with the movie like there's a there's like a lawnmower chainsaw christmas tree light thing and there's a bunch of scenes with lacey chamber and apparently has a shotgun in her hand which are just not in the movie. Lacey Chabert. La- Lacey Chabert? <laughs> yeah. It's spelled Champert, so I'm, I'm going to say Champert. <laughs> um, so that is Black Christmas, the remake. So thoughts overall. How would you compare oh, the, the I mean, original versus the remake? What's your overall assessment? Yeah, I mean, the the remake is bad. There's so many things about it. Like, it, the remake wouldn't exist, period, but for the first one. Like, even, like, it's just bad. The only redeeming parts of it are if you've seen the first one, you go, oh, yeah, I like the first one. Like, the fact that they make the attic stairs look identical to the first one, you're like, oh, that's cool. They made the house look the same. Or, like, the caroler's death. Like, those are the only even slightly interesting parts of the movie. Um, as for the first one, like, was the first one scary? Yeah, I think the first one was scary. The first kill surprised me. It was very early in the movie. Um, and I would definitely recommend the first one. The second one, not scary, nor would I recommend it. Yeah. Only if you are, you know, going to throw way more than a few back and just laugh at a bad horror movie, you can go ahead and scour the internet to find 2006's Black Christmas. But yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't recommend it. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it drove the director away from the film industry. Yeah. So Um, (laughs) what about you? How would you rank them? Oh, the remake was awful. Do not waste your time. I cannot recommend this movie to anyone. Um, the original, yeah, definitely see it. I thought it was fun. Um, there's some really interesting parts of this movie. I think it's funny. Um, I think there's definitely some scary moments. It's a good, solid movie, I think. So it's, I it's would recommend a- the original. Pass on the remake. Yeah. Um, and The original is not only fun because it's a fun movie, but it's also fun, like, it's a good movie to see if you're a horror fan. If you haven't seen it and you go watch it, pay attention to all the things, like the ways characters interact with each other, tropes, kind of themes that are in the movie that have become slasher movie staples now. And you can really see it, like how influential and what a big deal this movie is, because there are a lot of things in the movie that have become, they're played out now. Like, if you saw them in movies now, you'd be like, oh, I've seen this a million times. But this movie was, you know, kind of the trendsetter for it. So, yeah, I, I would definitely recommend the first one. Yeah. Um, and again, I think Jess from the first movie was a really interesting character. You know, you see this woman that's not giving in to just getting married and settling down with the guy. It was it was pretty, I thought, uh, progressive in a way. To that see dialogue that. that they have is so well written in the first one. 
She goes, you remember when you remember when, you know, you first we first met and you told me like I wanted to be this and you wanted you encouraged me to do that. I don't want to give up those things. Like it was really like it was kind of weird to have in the middle of a horror movie this really like serious topic and well-written dialogue about it. Yeah, it added some more depth to the movie. So I think it, it really does a good job of balancing moments like that with with scary moments, but then also some really humorous moments through Barb and Mrs. Mack. Um, so with that being said, my Scare Are They Now segment, we oh. referenced her a lot already, but Andrea Martin, who is a great comedic character actress, she's still doing her thing today. Um, she's in one of my favorite shows that unfortunately got canceled called Difficult People. It was on Hulu. Um, she was in My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which I which- think is probably one of the biggest roles to date that um, she's known for. She plays the aunt. You know what's funny of, is uh, I character. I probably have only seen that movie once, but when I saw Andrea Barton in the new one, well, I didn't I didn't place her in the old one. When I saw her in the new one, I was like, oh, it's the lady from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Like yeah. for some reason, her character in that movie is just so big and so well done that like hilarious. it sticks in your mind. She's an iconic, uh, yeah, iconic character in that movie. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, she's still acting today. She's on a show called Great News. I think may still be on. Tina Fey oh, yeah. uh, produced it. I think it's on Netflix. Um, so, yeah, but that's my scare are they now. So, Andrew Martin, she played Phil in the original, and then Mrs. Mack, which was kind of cool. I mean, in a way, she came back. The the only actress or actor that could be yeah. swindled into yeah. this dreadful remake yeah. of what is a horror class. But she's better than that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, But that's what we have for you today. Yeah. So, uh, Black Christmas. Um, I, again, watch the original. Skip yeah. the remake. And happy holidays happy to everyone. Holidays. Hope you enjoyed this edition. Before we let you go, uh, we I think we've realized that we need to tell you guys what movie we're going to watch before the episode comes out so you get the chance to watch us with it. So in honor of a pump fake that we got this week for a Nightmare on Elm Street Netflix uh, s- a series that uh, that there was a fan trailer made for a Nightmare on Elm Street Netflix series, which apparently is not going to be a real thing. But in honor of that, Joe and I thought for our next movie, we would like to re- uh, revisit the original Nightmare on Elm Street. So hope you enjoyed this episode. If you wanna, if you wanna have seen the movie fresh as we have before our next episode, go ahead and uh, dial up Nightmare on Elm Street or the Black Christmases over your holiday. We hope you have a, a happy and healthy one. Yeah, and we'll see you in the new year, folks. Cheers. Adios. Could you give me the number at the sorority house? Please. Yeah, sure. It's, uh, fellatio 20880. Fellatio. It's a, it's a new exchange. F-E. It's a new one on me.